el primero de mayo. <risa> Hello and welcome to the The Sam D Podcast. I am your host, Sam Duzame Jr. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at The Sam D. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Follow along with the podcast on social media at The Sam D Podcast. Musical production done by May 1st Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May 1st Music. All right, what's good? What the hell did y'all see? Not just last night, but the last two games. I was going to come on here after game two, but I was just like, mm, there ain't really much to talk about here. Book was book. And yeah, the others didn't show up for the Bucks. And it's coming to a point where after the performance of Middleton and Drew Holiday in game three at the crib is Middleton and Drew role players. Are they others? Because we've always talked about how, well, at least y'all know I have. If my number one player is truly, truly a number one player, he should be good enough to get me two wins by himself. Give me two games by himself. Then the other two games, that's where you're relying on your others to help you out. So in this case, I guess by default, we're saying Giannis is, even though I think he's still not a number one option, despite the crazy Shaq-like numbers. They just love putting Shaq and Giannis side by side. And there's some crazy numbers we're going to get into later. But, okay, let's let's do it the, the blue check boy way. Giannis is the one then that means Middleton and Drew are the others. So that means Giannis should be able to get you two wins. And then for them to get this chip, for them to get that Larry OB, they would need Middleton and Drew to get you at least a game each or at least be good together twice. Every once in a while, you might have an unsung hero type dude that just goes crazy out of nowhere that might get you another win as well. That might get you one of those two wins. But right now we're looking at Giannis. Are we giving him the game three win? Was that a Giannis win? Or was that a others win? Giannis going out there. Another 40 piece. Double digit boards. Dominating on the inside. But then you had Middleton. Orchestrating. Something we haven't seen a lot of. Unless Giannis has been out. We're seeing Drew off the ball. Something that I haven't seen for extended periods of time since he was in NOLA playing next to Alonzo. Which I think is a really good spot for him because that's more of his bag. Drew's not your prototypical point guard. He's a combo guard. So he played really well when he played with a facilitating point guard and he didn't have to worry about those responsibilities. So Coach Bud, adjustments? Is, is, Is that what I saw last night? Or was this the player saying the hell with it? I don't know. But let's give the benefit of the doubt that there was adjustments. One-two game. Two-man game. Between Giannis and Middleton. That's an adjustment. Drew off the ball. 
And you saw how that really came to the forefront in the second half, in the third quarter, when he kind of went crazy and hit some buckets when the Suns were trying to claw their way back into the game. That's an adjustment. Less Brooke Lopez, more Bobby Portis, but more Connaughton playing actual small ball, not that fake hybrid small ball that they were trying to get away with in games one and two. That's an adjustment. So do we need to fall back? Do we not need to keep roasting Coach Bud? Are we going to let him rock? Did he show us why he was once named? Was he, has he won Coach of the Year once or twice? He definitely got it once. I don't know if he got it twice, but I think he got it once. I think he got it twice, once in Atlanta and once in um, Milwaukee. Is that what's going on here? Was it adjustments or was it the fact that role players got back to the crib and all of a sudden, sleeping at the crib, having a normal routine, seeing your family, all that type of stuff. Role players as Shaq and all the other type of superstars of that ilk say, role players, bench guys play better at home than on the road. So with Middleton and Drew Holiday coming out and actually getting buckets and getting buckets to fall, because they took up, they put up shots in Phoenix, they just weren't falling. So now they get back to the crib, the comforts of home. Now all of a sudden, the shots fall for Drew. Now all of a sudden, Chris gets free throws. He had zero free throws in two games in Phoenix. He has finally attempted free throws. Took him three games. While Monty is doing, you know, what a real coach of the year, not that fraudulent, you know, meniscus tearing taskmaster Tom Thibodeau. Monty's doing what a real coach of the year would be doing in this spot by saying, yo, Giannis had more free throws than my whole team planting the seeds for game four. The more important storyline for me is, hey, Chris Milton finally got to the free throw line. Giannis is always, always going to get to the free throw line. It just, it just matters in terms of how many times is he going to get it depends on how aggressive he is. When he falls in love with that three, when he falls in love with that mid-range, or more or less, maybe not fall in love, but when he's being goaded into taking that three, goaded into taking that mid-range, that's helping the other team. He's not doing that in this series. Maybe then the knee is making him feel like I can't depend on my lateral movement. I just need to just go right into the paint and do work. Maybe this knee injury is a blessing in disguise. You need your knees a lot more on the perimeter than you do in the paint. So Middleton, feeling comfortable, feeling at home, is slightly more aggressive and actually gets to the free throw line. So again, are Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton role players? Now, I know the answer is no, right? But I mean, you saw the first two games on the road. Middleton had a good game one. Good. Not great. Good game one. Game two, Basura. Drew looked out of sorts both games in Phoenix. But they both get to the crib in game three. Now again, D-Book, we don't know what's up there. I tried to reach out to some people to see what was up with D-Book. I couldn't really get any answers on what's going on with D-Book. But I mean, they waved the white flag early with D-Book and they load managed. They load manage D book again. That's why Monty Williams should have been coach of the year because he saw what was happening last night. We got no shot in this one. You want to blame it on Scott Foster? You want to blame it on the reps? You, you, you want to do all that? Okay, cool. 
But if I can get my best player some rest and save him some minutes that we're probably going to need, especially if the Bucks find a way to win game four, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and load manage my player. And that's what I meant. You know, a couple of po- a couple of pods ago, we got into the debate of what's load managing and whether resting players in game is or isn't load managing. That you saw last night, that of D-Book not playing a lot, if at all, in the second half, that's load managing to me. So we know they're not role players. Middleton and Drew Holiday are not role players. But what I'm saying is that if this is how the ebb and the flow of their performance is going to go in this series, then the Bucks are in trouble. Great win last night. Huge win. Mandatory win last night. But if Middleton and Drew can't do that in Phoenix, then none of it matters because they only got two more home games. Right? Like, all right, let's say they come out and have another game. That's a, that's a Drew and Chris game. Cool. Now it's two up. Can one or both of them give you a game in Phoenix? That's what this is going to come down to because Phoenix has no answers for Giannis. They're not really doubling him. They're putting Boss Man 99 on him, which is Swiss cheese, barbecue chicken, the whole thing. DeAndre Ayton, I mean, he was getting a lot of superlatives all the way up until this NBA Finals. They love to talk about his story. They love to talk about, you know, where he's from. And that's cool. But I mean, we'll get there. If they don't have an answer for Giannis, if Giannis could just go out here and continue, well, he's averaging 34, but we really know, you know, game one, he was tentative. He was kind of just testing to see how much he could do. So now that he has some confidence and plus he knows this is the time is imperative. This needs to go. If he's if he's going to get a chip, it has to be this one. He has to get this chip. I don't know if he can get back to the finals next year. I don't know if he could get to the finals the year after that. But he's here now. He needs to go get that chip. So he's going to leave it all out there and he's giving you 40 pieces in back-to-back games. So I see nothing in the future unless the knee starts to bark again. That makes me think he's not going to continue to put up video games, Shaq, and his prom numbers. So if that's the case, he's fine. He could do it home on the road. Last night I showed you he could do it in game two on the road and he could do it game three at the crib. The key is... Can the role players do it on the road? Game four, they come out, they do their thing again. That doesn't really mean that much to me. Now, obviously, if they go out there in game four and and are trash, then, you know, I'm going to come on here and kill them as well. But the fact of the matter is they should play better at home. The thing is, when you're you're a killer, when you're trying to win a chip, you got to win a game on the road. And that's why you get the old adage of, you know, a series doesn't begin until you beat the other team in their gym. So every everything has been status quo. The Suns took care of business. They won two games at home. The Bucks came home. They took care of their business. They won their game at home. If we keep playing this rhythm, then it's Suns and seven. Just off the fact of they got home court. But that's where you try to load up with as much talent because talent is supposed to travel on the road. The problem is that we haven't really seen that from Drew. We've seen it at times with Chris Middleton. 
but not consistently for me to be like, nah, on the road, you're going to get a Middleton game. I can't tell you that. So it's going to be interesting to see how this goes because somebody got to win on the road. And it might be as simple as first team that wins on the road is going to win the Larry OB. If the Suns could pull off game four, then it's probably it. Then most likely it's over. Right. I mean, just by the law of averages, unless you go Draymond and start kicking people in the nuts, you're probably not going to blow a three one lead. Although the point fraud has done that in the past. But if the road team wins a game, if the Suns able to win this game and go three one by law of averages, it's most likely over. But if the Bucs can get it to 2-2 and then go game five in Phoenix and win that game on the road, I could see them really running the table and getting the Suns up out of here in six. That's why it's such a pivotal thing, getting that win on the road. It's such a main thing that people always bring up. You got to win. You got to get a game. You got to get a game on the road. That's why when teams split, the road team's happy because we you essentially stole one. The whole concept of protecting home court is going out the window if you let a team come in there and steal one. So you're hoping you can steal one. Who's going to steal one in this series? Will it be Phoenix in game four? Or will it potentially be the Bucks in game five? Because game seven, you don't know what the hell's going to happen. That's I don't count game seven. I can't count a road team winning in game seven as stealing it because you don't know what the hell could happen. Dubs had that 3-1 lead, and it was game seven, and the Dubs were still favored. And then your two-time fraudulent MVP with trash-ass ankles is out here throwing behind-the-back passes out of bounds in the waning moments. And then Iguodala gets chased down by LeBron. And then LeBron has the greatest missed dunk in the history of basketball. And then Kung Fu Kyrie Swiss cheeses up that fraudulent two-time MVP with trash-ass ankles. With a three-point dagger in his eye. After hunting him and calling out multiple picks to make sure he's isoed on that fraudulent two-time MVP with trash-ass angles. This is where we at. Who's going to steal one first? Suns in game four. Bucks in game five. There was a great stat I saw after game two. That I had never really paid attention to, so I made sure to watch it uh, last night, and it bore out the point fraud. Now, look, I'm, I'm not getting into. It seems like every time I, I crack this mic, now I have to explain why I call the point fraud the point fraud. There's too many episodes we can go back and check that, um, but the point fraud. of his baskets are layups. Let me run that back to you. 5% of the point frauds baskets, and this is not just in this series, this is a trend. 5% of the point frauds baskets are layups. He doesn't go to the hole. He is drive and kick. But the reason why drive and kicks are so essential and so dangerous is because you have dual options. You're either driving to finish or you're driving to give the appearance of finishing, but then to then kick it out for an open shot. You're going to draw the defense into you because they think you're going to finish 
only for you to kick it out. But if the point frauds baskets in the paint, specifically three feet and under, a.k.a. layups, are only 5% of his made baskets, then why would you do anything when he's driving? You know he's not going to shoot it. And I watched it last night. I counted three specific times where he could have had a layup. He was Ben Simmons last night. But because he's six foot or really sub six foot, we let it go. He's considered a little guy amongst tall men. But he was on some Ben Simmons shit. He passed up three layups last night. Where he's all the way there. He beats his man. But he gets right there. Where it's three feet. And then one time he kicked it out to boss man. But it wasn't really a kick out. Because boss man was kind of covered. So three times. He passed up layups. And I said oh shit. I never really paid attention to that. Because we assume as someone that's, that's, you know, six feet or maybe slightly less. All right, he's just afraid of getting his shot blocked. So, okay, he kicks it out. But on those three chances, those three layups he passed up, I didn't see anyone that has shot blocking ability like bearing down on him. He just didn't take the layup. What is the reason for the point for all it? Only having 5% of his baskets. I understand he's mastered the mid-range. He's mastered the pick and roll, the 1-5 pick and roll specifically and all that stuff. That's great. 5%? Layups? 5. five. If you pierce the numbers or parse the numbers, I'm not sure what is it is. Pierce or parse? Let's go with parse. If you parse the numbers... His worst shooting percentage so far through three games is at the rim. I shit you not. Go look it up. Because again, once I saw that stat, I said, wait a minute, really? Only 5% of his shots are layups? So, all right, man, let me, let me start digging through and start looking up stuff. So in between games two and three, like, this is what I'm doing to prepare for this pod right here. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before I go ahead and start killing them, let me go ahead and make sure what I saw is an actual thing. And yeah, <laughs> it is a thing. 5%. So I said, well, let me let me pay this forward. How is this looking in the NBA Finals? So I made sure after last night's game, all right, let me let me look this up. Worst shooting percentage of anywhere else on the floor, of anywhere on the floor, for the point fraud, is in the paint. And in the paint paint, not at the dotted line, not at the, the free throw, where he's doing his mid-range. Shit. I'm talking about the paint paint, three feet and under. 40%. Two or five. In three games, he's had five shots at the rim. You tell me why. You you tell me why that is. I'm just saying. I'm just look, I I give y'all the information to make of it what you will. To to stir shit up, to move the conversation forward. 
I'm not using that to say he's a fraud. I'm just using that to say, what the fuck? Because from a defensive standpoint, if you're looking at these metrics, well, dog, he only only 5% of his shots are layups. Then when he drives into the hole, it once he gets past the, the mid-range era, he's not shooting. Once he gets past the mid-range area, he's not shooting. The numbers bear it out. If you want to use metrics, use metrics for that. If you want to use analytics, that to me is something you analyze. 5% of his shots are layups. So that means once he gets below the dotted circle past the free throw, he's not coming no further. Not to shoot. He's only throwing the lob or kicking it out. All these, all these pump fakes or all of these fouls that he draws that deep into the paint are, are, are asinine. By the numbers, he's not going to shoot. Because he only shoots 5% of the time from that close. So stay on the ground. It's getting to the point where it's like, well, can the point fraud make a layup? If he was given those layups, can he make them? Can he make a tough layup? Is he a finisher? That's a rare trait. When you look at, I mean, we, we got youngins who could do it like Ja. Like Ja Morant can, can, finish at the, he can finish at the rim by dunking, but he can also finish with tough layups. We've seen that over the years. There was something I tweeted out. Follow me on Twitter at the D T H E E S A M D. You know, Rod Strickland's birthday was the other day, and you saw some of the layup packages he had, and he had to finish in the lane. That's why Kyrie is so elite, immortal, godlike at finishing with the layups. Your layup package has to be crazy. AI, that's what made AI so special. I mean, he could still turn it over on you too, but... His main thing was, I can finish at the cup. Zeke could finish at the cup. Tough layups. If you're only taking 5% of your of your shots as layups, I mean, y'all tell me. <laughs> y'all tell me. And let's get into DeAndre Ayton before I, I get up out of here. So, man, I... Sometimes it's hard being this guy. And by this guy, I mean me. Because sometimes I see things and I know this trend and I come on here and I say it. And I already know what the backlash or the, the hate or the, the confusion or whatever is going to be. But I just, I just have to say it. I have to just say it and just live with it. So DeAndre Ayton. He's gotten a lot of. A lot of publicity. He's gotten a lot of press. This has been great for his career. Um, Former number one overall pick. A lot was expected. He's had some ups and downs in the league. He's been questioned early in his career. I mean, it's still relatively early in his career, but he's been questioned in terms of was he worth that pick? Is he ever going to live up to the hype? So on and so forth. So this year has been his best year. And everyone makes the automatic, um, the automatic connection to it must be the point fraud. Let's just play the narrative that that is the case, right? So, we've seen the point fraud run the one five pick and roll with Aiton, and because of the fact that you're either going to do drop coverage, hedge, or switch, it's been easy for Aiton to get buckets 
set up by the point fraud because if you switch, then he's got a little on him. Or if he doesn't, if they don't switch, he could just roll to the basket and wait for the lob. Or if the point fraud or whoever else that sometimes is D-book, as we saw in game one, D-book will also do the 1-5 the pick and roll. He'll wait for the rebound and he'll be right there marinating two feet from the basket is an easy putback or at least drawing a foul, and he's a pretty decent free throw shooter. So the game of basketball has been made easier by the point fraud whose main game is predicated on one five pick and rolls. He's been doing it his whole career. You could go to the Hornets when he had Tyson Chandler. He made Tyson Chandler look like an offensive weapon, something that he wasn't prior to that in Chicago. Then the point fraud goes to Lob City, who I called Fraud City, with the way that they tricked off all those teams and all those wins in the regular season that ultimately led to playoff failures. He made DeAndre Jordan look to be a upper echelon center at times because of the 1-5 pick and roll. Then he goes to Houston, and while the beard was doing the same thing prior, the point fraud was able to make Clint Capella look like an upper echelon center with the 1-5 pick and roll. Even last year in OKC, he threw a couple of lobs to Steven Adams off that 1-5 pick and roll. So you see the trend here. Wherever the point fraud is, your job as his center is to set screens and be able to run and catch the lob. That's your job. You are a rim runner. That's what we mean when you're talking about someone, can they rim run? Can they run to the rim? So, he had it in Tyson Chandler with the Hornets. He had it in DeAndre Jordan with the Clippers. He had it with the Rockets with Clint Capella. He even had it and he found a way to make Steven Adams a rim runner. Now he's come to Phoenix and he's made DeAndre Ayton realize his potential by being a rim runner. Here's the problem. <laughs> have any of those centers done anything offensively after the point fraud leaves? Tyson Chandler was never an offensive factor. DeAndre Jordan is washed, was washed after the point fraud left, but he hung on, was able to get another contract or two with the Mavs and then slid over the Knicks tape before being moved to BK. Clint Capella, I mean, we, we see him trying to figure it out, but he's never really developed an offensive game because he's just a rim runner. That's the reason why he got the bag that he got in Houston and Atlanta had to absorb that in the trade for him. He's not someone you could dump the ball into and let him go to work. And Steven Adams, OKC, Sam Presti's on that hinky, and he got Adams and that bloated contract up out of there. Shipped him to New Orleans. And now they have to be ruining the day that they are going to have to absorb that contract. Good job, David Griffin. So my thing with DeAndre Ayton is this. is While he has, yes, realized some of his potential. Some of the potential that was you know, so highly thought of that he was the number one overall pick. Can he do something more than run a 1-5 pick and roll? Can he be something more... Than a rim runner. 
Now, I've said here on this podcast that this is where the league is going because that's the easiest form of basketball. You're not asking your bigs a lot because we don't develop bigs like we used to. We don't develop bigs that have a low post game to be dominant on the block. So, yeah, if you're not going to be dominant on the block, then, yeah, you might as well rim run. I mean, what else is there for a big to do? If you're going to be a big, you're either going to be a hybrid big. We out here shooting threes like Brooke Lopez. You out here stretch, stretching the floor. Or you're going to have to be a defensive, you know, clean the glass and be a rim runner type guy. Alter shots and all of that. So, you know, I'm just asking the question. We've seen the point for all its track history with making bigs look better than what they really are. And based off the fact that Giannis is out here going crazy with back-to-back 40 pieces and Monty has yet to really figure out a way to stop it when we when he has a young defensive center that in theory should be able to stay in front. Stay in front. I'm not saying stop. Should be able to stay in front from a one-on-one perspective, especially in DeAndre Ayton. But we have yet to really see that go on for long stretches of time. What are we to make of DeAndre Ayton? We know the point fraud is going to play forever. So once the point fraud moves on, and that might be as soon as this this up um, this upcoming offseason, that's a player option for 40-plus M's. And you know what he, what he did to the CBA to get another max bag. So he opts out. He might get a 50-piece, a, a 50-mil piece somewhere. So what happens if the point for all leaves? Just, you're just going to run the same 1-5 pick and roll, but now with D-Book instead of the point for all with DeAndre Ayton? I mean, I get it. I mean, they were doing that last year, but it just it didn't hit the same. So I, I, don't, I don't know what you're asking for from DeAndre Ayton. It's been a great story. I like the fact that he's, he's getting his props, and he does finish well around the rim. It's a little bit of, of a finesse game in the paint. And that's always worrisome. He finishes with finesse a lot. It's a lot of uh, soft putbacks. I'm not saying you got to bring down basket stanchions like Shaq did. But if you're 6'11", 6'10", 6'11", you're young. You've got a lot of bounce. I don't know why you're not yamming every chance you got. I mean, if Cam Johnson could do that to P.J. Tucker last night, I don't know how DeAndre can't do anything even remotely close to that on a nightly basis. He should be yamming for the sake of yamming. I mean, what Cam Johnson did to P.J. Tucker, baptizing him by putting his nuts on his chin. I mean, I, I, I tweeted it out last night, but I mean, all them P.E.s don't mean shit now. <laughs> all them all them limited edition personal edition sneakers like i don't care if you had Giannis's new sneakers before Giannis did all that shit is cute you had a youngin's nuts on your chin in front of the world last night immortalized in photo that will be in someone's house not named cam johnson that's how crazy it was like a basketball fan was born last night because of cam johnson's nuts resting on pj tucker's chin a basketball fan was born last night. So I don't care what kicks you got. That shit is cute. You could blow all your bread on that. I don't give a fuck. But you got immortalized for all time. The rest of your career, whatever you did before, which is a great story. PJ, PJ Tucker is a great 
basketball journey type story. Like, there's a movie there. Low key. But sadly, that movie script just got changed, just got altered because you had Cam Johnson's nuts on your chin last night. But all that goes to say, if Cam Johnson could take off from just below the free throw line and yam it on P.J. Tucker like that, then DeAndre Ayton, who's 6'10", 6'11", when he gets these offensive rebounds, don't put that shit up soft. Gambit on somebody. Establish a physical presence. Like that's that's where the the death of the big man or the perceived death of the big man really kind of comes in comes to fruition. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't want to be that guy. I'm not, I'm not trying to tear him down. I'm just telling you what I see. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to the one five pick and roll. Pay attention to when they do give it to DeAndre. Is it finesse? Is it a power game? Does it look fluid? Does he look comfortable? That's all I'm saying. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. I wanted to make sure I give y'all something since I did not give y'all something immediately after game two. But game two was so meh that I was like, you know what? I'll hold off. Game three. I wasn't predicting a Bucks win if I was definitely predicting a better performance from the Bucks, which would give us more stuff to talk about. And that's that's what we got and the addition of a Bucks win. So we here now. It's a series kind of. But you know what I said earlier in the pod? It really is who will win the game on the road first. So we'll look out for that. Uh, make sure to subscribe, rate five stars, nothing less. Tell a friend all that good stuff. Hit up the podcast voicemail. Don't be scared out here. If you got something to say, say it. I'll play it back here. Ain't ducking no smoke. But you know what it is. For the Sandy Podcast, I'm the Sandy. See you after game four. I'm out.